and welcome to Turning Heads. As audiology students, we're very familiar with our role in performing hearing evaluations and fitting hearing aids. But how well do we know the other specialties in our field? It almost feels out of balance. Today, more than ever before, it's important to take full advantage of our entire scope of practice and professional utility. As clinicians who have shifted their focus towards balance and equilibrium, our goal is to provide resources to enhance your professional toolkit, and we want to invite you to discuss the possibilities of our future as audiologists. Welcome back, everybody, to Episode 2 of Turning Heads Podcast. My name is Clayton, and I'm joined here today by Paxton and Christina. Now, today, we're talking specifically about specialty professions. Audiology, if you think about it in the grand scheme of the medical and healthcare professions, really is a specialized profession. But we even have specialties within our specialty. Vestibular audiology is one of those. In fact, anybody who's taken a class or has been in practice long enough knows that this profession is in the midst of change. In fact, 10 years from now, it might look very different than what it is today. And so what do we do? What we do, our place in healthcare is not a right. It's a place in healthcare that we have to earn. Now, the way that we do that is by specializing in our professional utilities. We really need to showcase that we know what we're talking about and that we are the true specialists of the ear and everything that goes along with it. Now, while we're specialists of the ear, we still need to view our patients as a whole person. It's also important to be familiar with the things that are happening in the different realms of healthcare. We're talking neurology, otolaryngology, physical therapy, and there's tons of things that primary care physicians deal with day to day. Being relatively familiar with all these different aspects is essential to caring for dizzy patients. Mm -hmm. In particular, when we're claiming a specialty, that comes with responsibility. We need to understand that population inside and out, and they're often exhibiting disequilibrium or dizziness as secondary or even a coexisting condition. Because of the nature of dizziness and equilibrium involving multiple systems, such as the visual system, the vestibular system, and the proprioceptive system, each of these systems are susceptible to disorders on their own. So it's our job to own the space of knowing that each of the systems may be affected by different disorders. If we expect doctors to refer to us and rely on us to assess and manage the dizzy patient, it is our responsibility to know as much as we can about the disorders we will be working with. That's exactly right, Christina. One really good example of that area that we as vestibular providers should grow further into is diabetes health. We should be well established and known within the Diabetes Association to provide them access to help when they're ready for it. Diabetes is a great example, but we also assess and manage patients with a wide variety of disorders, including dementia, Parkinson's, cardiovascular disease. You have the patients with osteopenia or osteoporosis, being that they have hypovitaminosis D. We also have our Meniere's patients, our perilymphatic fistula patients, patients with concussion or migraineurs, and much, much more. Somehow all these patients have ended up in our offices. They all present differently and their plans of care are all drastically different. So we have to understand how these disorders affect dizziness and balance before we can call ourselves specialists. All right. Well, let's elaborate a little bit further on these. All right. How about diabetes? Okay. Why should vestibular providers be invested in patients with diabetes? 
What are some of the things that we need to be keeping on our radar and how can we best serve this specific population and the providers that may have referred them to us? Great question. Diabetes affects the eyes, the ears, and our sense of touch in our legs. If their primary complaint is imbalanced, but they aren't experiencing changes to their vision and their vestibular function is robust, we may need to refer them elsewhere to address the possibility of peripheral neuropathy. But we can go further than that and perform a monofilament screening. So when we make that referral, it's backed with suggested evidence to support the patient report of their inability to feel their sense of touch along the bottom of their feet or in their toes. That's a really perfect example of how you can go beyond what's expected of you. Step a little bit outside of your wheelhouse to provide some value within the field of healthcare. If we're going to claim this space and promote our profession as inner ear specialists, There needs to be a standardized level of care. We can't just have anyone out there doing calorics or VNGs and not really even knowing what they're looking at. So to ensure that here at AIB, we offer six certification courses for specialty professions. We have courses on vestibular rehab one and two, vestibular assessment and management one and two, concussion and pain management. Ensuring care for dizzy patients makes us a valuable resource for the medical community in which we rely on our referrals for. More than knowing what to do with the patient, we also have to know how to converse and collaborate with a lot of MDs, PTs, neurologists. It is important to know how to maintain these relationships and keep them happy. Just like Paxson said earlier, providing a simple screening that's within their realm and can give them some suggestive evidence and that we know everything that comes along with being an imbalanced patient really goes a long way with other professions. Yeah, that's a really good point. And really, when you think of it, it not only goes a long way, but it's essential to having a dizzy practice. Seeing dizzy patients is a lot different than seeing hearing patients. We will talk about this in a later episode, but part of the business model in marketing is to not market to patients the way that hearing practices market to patients. We actually, it's more beneficial for us to market to physicians. 100% Christina. Patient acquisition is definitely one of the aspects of practice where you see a contrast between the dizzy world and the hearing world. But, you know, without going too deep into that, just so our listeners know, we're going to have another episode that specifically looks at business and dizzy practice management. So let's sort of dial back from that. And I want to talk about relationships. We obviously need referrals from other physicians and we need them to trust in our abilities. So how do we go about establishing and maintaining that trust to keep them in our corner? So one critical aspect of maintaining that professional collaboration and relationship is be ready to answer questions. If a physician asks you, well, How exactly do you intend on helping these patients? You have to have a good answer. You also need to be able to defend your recommendations and provide resources from the literature that supports your diagnosis and your treatment plan. That's what we have been trained to do all through grad school. So be ready to keep up with the research. Make sure we're using the most up-to-date, evidence-based practices. Mm -hmm. A perfect example of this is that we often will recommend patients monitor their vitamin D levels to prophylactically prevent BPPV recurrence. Matter of fact, 70% of Floridians are vitamin D deficient. And it's not typically found on a common blood panel when they go for their regular checkups. Okay, well, what's so special about vitamin D? 
What we know is that having low vitamin D in our endolymphatic fluid prevents the efficiency of our body's ability to absorb the calcium carbonate crystals or otoconia that fall out of place, causing BPPV. Many times, other clinicians are actually relying on you, the specialist, to frame hypobiaminosis D from the perspective of our clinical expertise. Other than BPPV, migraine is a really big one. As the number one non-otologic cause of vertigo, it affects 13% or more of the adult population in the U.S., and 50% of all migrainers deny a physician diagnosis. This is a huge area of need for us to fill because not only is dizziness one of the manifestations of migraine, but our understanding of the physiologic migraine pathways and how they present in patients has come tremendously far in the last 10 or even five years. When dizzy patients present with photophobia, phonophobia, internal motion, motion intolerance, visual auras, we need to be tuned into these things. We need to ask the right questions and be able to counsel on all of these different symptoms that may technically be outside of our wheelhouse. As migraine is a diagnosis of exclusion, your testing is essential in ruling in or out other possible sources of dizziness, which brings the patient into your door and one step closer to finally getting the answers and the relief that they've seeked for so long. Another area in research that has come an extremely long way in recent years is concussion. If you've played sports when you were younger and if you've ever known anyone who on your team that suffered from a concussion, you may remember the different classification grades of concussion that typically had to do if you had lost consciousness after the impact, how long you lost consciousness, how long you felt symptomatic, were you vomiting? But in 2013, the American Academy of Neurology published revised guidelines that no longer use concussion grading, and instead, they emphasized a more detailed neurologic assessment prior to return to play. The tricky part about concussion is that not only does it involve structural and metabolic disturbance to the central nervous system following an impact, but it can also result in inner ear damage, and even more frequently, BPPV. If someone doesn't necessarily recognize they have suffered from a concussion and they come to you for BPPV treatment, you better be able to dig a little bit deeper about post-concussive symptoms in order to best serve your patients and get them to the right doctors and the right therapies. It would be a shame if you only focused on treating the BPPV when they're telling you they're having sleep disturbances, changes in their mood, changes in their stress levels. They can't read anymore. It looks like words are falling off the page. These are all things that should throw up huge red flags when they talk about a head impact and when you're looking at post-concussive patients. And these are just a few. There are many other disorders to talk about. Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, herpes zoster oticus, barotrauma, paralymphistula, autotoxicity from aminoglycosides or solvents, MDDS, MS, and lots, lots more. But the point we want to make for all of them is, when we come to the table with more to offer than our tests and our equipment, we offer more utility than ever before, and we become a welcomed and sought-after colleague within the world of healthcare. Referral sources would value our relationship more utilize us extensively, and trust us with their patients. That was a really, really great discussion as we're ramping up to prepare for our first guest here on Turning Heads. We're incredibly excited to have this very special guest in the studio with us today. He's the founder and executive director of the American Institute of Balance. 
For over 20 years, he's been a leader in the development of vestibular evaluation rehabilitation techniques. He's also the author of multiple textbook chapters, ranging from diagnostic vestibular testing, vestibular rehabilitation, BPPV treatments, and pediatric vestibular evaluation. He was also an active member on the board of the American Academy of Audiology for many years, and he served as the AAA president. He's the reason that all of us are here at AIB, and he's the reason that this podcast was even made possible. So, without further ado, Dr. Richard Gans. Oh, thank you very much, Clayton. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And I want to congratulate you and Christina and Paxton and Courtney on your first podcast. It was very impressive. Thank you very much. So especially in a time like now, considering everything that's going on with COVID-19 and the state of the world, we are being challenged by the changing of times. As someone who has been at the top of our field for many years, what advice do you give to our listeners just entering the world of audiology and other allied health professions? Well, that's a great question, Christina. I think the most important thing is to not let people put you in a box, not let people to set boundaries for you that are really limitations in their own mind. One of the most important things to do is always make sure that you're testing your own belief lids. Um, you know, our scope of practice in audiology is very, very wide and deep. Uh, I had the good fortune to be in leadership positions for our organization for a number of years and actually was involved in writing the scope of practice for the American Academy of Audiology and also uh, as being a reviewer for the ASHA guidelines as well. And the reality of it is that when you read our scope of practice, it's enormous. And I would urge young audiology students and young audiology professionals to step away from the ear. Uh, this is something that you as residents have heard me say. In other words, we have to think about the brain. We have to think about human equilibrium. Uh, the ear is more than just a place to stick a hearing aid. And I think we do ourselves a great disservice well, we don't think about the role of the auditory vestibular system in individuals who are cancer survivors, diabetics, Parkinson's disease, migraine, uh, pediatrics. So look at everything that's available and don't let other people put you in a pigeonhole position. Mm -hmm. You're also well-connected globally with various health professionals and assisting them develop vestibular practices with various healthcare models. From your experience, does one healthcare system push for interdisciplinarity more than others? And if so, how can we use what these other systems have developed to benefit patient care here? That's a very good question, Paxton. I've been very fortunate over the last 25 years to be in about 30 different countries. So from Kuwait to Argentina to Hong Kong to China, many countries in South America, the UK, Canada, and of course here in the United States. The main thing is that you can't fit a square peg in a round hole, meaning that when you look at a health system in a country, it also reflects the general belief system, the culture, and whether really you believe that healthcare is a privilege or a right. We have the best healthcare system in the world, but the reality of it is that not everybody has access to it. That's why for 28 years, 
no child has ever been turned away from AIB, right? If a parent doesn't have insurance, we will see their children. And this is one of the things that I think is important. Um, I think what we do as audiologists in particular, uh, whether it's from the cradle to the grave, our patients need us. And uh, restricting access to us because of their ability to pay, of course, is one of the greatest challenges. So uh, I always enjoy going to uh, countries where healthcare is a right uh, because it's not motivated. The practitioners want to do the right thing. They want to help their patients. They want to help the citizens uh, of their community. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So obviously you have impacted our field greatly, not only as a clinician and author and a researcher, but also as the president of Triple Life. What vision do you have for our profession and what can we do as young professionals to get there? Christina, thank you for asking that question because one of my favorite sayings is a leader knows the way, goes the way, then shows the way. One of the things that I would encourage all young professionals to do is to find mentors. Find mentors that they can respect. People that don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk, right? And look at models that you could see yourself being in 15 or 20 years from now. Is this the kind of professional that you would want to emulate? And that's one of the greatest things because you know, technology changes, and technology changes so quickly. Um, you know, there were people that believed that the car would never replace the horse, right? There were people that had typewriter repair businesses that believed that you'd always need typewriters to type labels or type envelopes, right? When CDs came out and replaced eight track and cassettes. Whoa, this is, this is a game changer. So we have to be careful that as audiologists, we do not worship at the altar of technology alone, that we consistently recognize that we have to be lifelong learners and that the real power of being an audiologist is not a VNG system. It's not a rotary chair. It's not a sound booth. It's what's in your brain. Feed your brain and you will have an amazing career. All right. There you have it. Coming to you straight from the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Richard Gans. Thank you so much for being here and spending your time with us. It is always a rewarding experience to learn from you. And we're just grateful for the opportunity to share a little bit of that experience and wisdom with our viewers. Well, thank you. I want to give uh, props to Christina and Paxton and Courtney and Clayton uh, for uh, taking on this podcast. I know it means a great deal to AUD students and also young audiology professionals. So I salute you and I expect to hear great things from all four of you. Thank you. Speaking of Turning Heads podcast, we have a lot of really exciting topics coming up here shortly with some more special guests. Now, some of the topics include 
interdisciplinary interaction, business and practice, professionalism, having a healer mentality, and a whole lot more. So don't forget to reach out to us on social media. You can reach us on Instagram at Turning Heads Podcast and on Facebook at the AIB Residence Corner. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope to hear from you soon. All right, everyone. Fact of the day. Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, herpes zoster oticus, or shingles, are most common in individuals over the age of 50. This viral attack on the ear is related to vestibular neuritis, and when left untreated, is a common cause of dizziness. Hey, if you're someone who's interested in learning more about the diagnostic and rehabilitative aspects of the vestibular and equilibrium sciences, AIB is now offering a university program online for audiology students. Ask your program directors if your university will offer our course as part of the curriculum. And if not, reach out to us. We also offer the course on an individual basis for just the price of a textbook. 